0: Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. And for this week's episode, Ellen McGirt and I talked to Corey Berry, the CEO of Best Buy. She's been in that role since June of 2019. But previously, she worked alongside the previous CEO, Hubert Jolie, and really helped to turn around Best Buy. I mean, if you go back a decade or more, the company had almost been left for dead. In a world of e-commerce, people wondered, why do you need to buy your electronics from a big box store? But they have really reshaped, refashioned turned around the company in a pretty spectacular fashion and they've done it by putting purpose at the
1: core. Alan, you're absolutely right. And speaking of turning around Best Buy, let's look at the 2020 numbers. Total sales up 8.3% to $47.3 billion, and that includes a 144% increase in US online sales. And I a big chunk of that honestly was in tech that was handed right to me in the Best Buy parking lot in my local zip code, including the cord that connects me to the laptop and connects me to you, Alan. And I think what I really took away from this conversation is that you could do all of that at a terrible time and still transform the experience of working for the company.
0: It's a fascinating conversation. Please listen in. Tell us from your perspective i mean you took over right around the time the pandemic hit how has the pandemic changed your business
2: there are really three major changes that we've seen and it's interesting they aren't so much changes i think about them a little bit more as accelerations the first is frankly it starts with our purpose our purpose is to enrich lives through technology and while we knew that was foundationally important to the future The pandemic brought that to life in ways we never had contemplated. We didn't think about people literally learning, entertaining, schooling, teaching, doing every daily activity on the back of technology. And so for our employees, It was actually breathing life into what they were there to do every single day. But the second thing that has happened is we have also changed how we think about what our employees are here to do. Mm. Because when people are stuck at home, they want to chat more. They want to get on the phone more. So can we use our employees in the stores to get on the phone with customers who are calling in when they have downtime? This idea of much more flexibly training and then utilizing the immense skills of our employee base is definitely another implication that we've seen. And the final implication, and perhaps the most important one for the future, is that the customer is in control. And they will expect to be known and helped ubiquitously across every channel. And sometimes when we say omni-channel, people think stores and digital. Nope, now it is chat, it is phone, it is stores, it is digital, it's in your home, in our case, where we interact quite a bit. It is virtual consultations. It is every single way the customer now is comfortable, especially leading digitally more than they were certainly prior to
0: the pandemic. Just that you say customer in control, their demands have increased. They are expecting way more of you than they did before.
2: And it's not even demands, it's just, you said it perfectly, it's flat out expectations. It's not just about retail. People have now had digital experiences across multiple industries. And once I have a great digital experience, if it's an airline, I'm going to expect that to translate into a retail experience.
0: Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, I mean, it used to be Hmm. you you wanted to be the best in your industry, but now people are making those comparisons across industries.
2: Yeah, it doesn't, being the best in your industry is not enough. And, and you're always out there trying to push the envelope on who is doing a really cool digital experience over here and how might that translate into our business? Right now, if you go on our website, one of the first things you can do is talk to an expert. And when you click on that, you can call an expert. You can get in a phone queue for an expert. You can video chat an expert. We want to replicate all the different ways in which you might've now gotten used to talking to whoever's on the other end.
1: That is amazing, and I am definitely one of the core Best Buy customers. I had enormous and surprising technology needs at the beginning of the pandemic just to try to stay connected to Leadership Next and everybody else I love and I miss and I was worried about, and every single piece of technology was handed to me in a parking lot in suburban St. Louis by an expert who was very happy to help me out, and I was panicked, and I think half the time they were more like counselors than anything else. So I'm curious how... As someone who is interested as stakeholders as you are, you learned to listen to your employees differently and check in and think about what they needed. I know that you've got a really rich new array of benefits for women, for example, that I'd love to learn more about, too.
2: Yeah, so I'll start first just broadly talking about communication loops with employees If you go all the way back to the start of the pandemic, it's not like we all somehow were handed this magical playbook on how to lead through a pandemic. And if you remember at the very beginning, we didn't know so much. We didn't know how the virus transmitted. We didn't know whether or not masks were gonna be helpful. We didn't know whether or not you need to clean surfaces. We didn't know. And so we heard two things loud and clear. Our customers said, I'm starting to feel really unsafe. And our employees said, I am incredibly worried about my personal health and safety. And so we, over a span of 48 hours, moved our entire business to curbside. We didn't do that with the perfect playbook. It's not like we sent the stores, here's exactly how this is going to work. We said, we think this is the right thing to do for the business. Now we need you to help us figure out how to do this well. And that is when the communication loop really started in earnest. And we've always had, a, I mean, most retailers a pretty good communication loop with their employees, but this was every day soliciting feedback, making changes, adjusting on the fly and then moving on to the next set of ideas. And it is fundamentally probably the most powerful thing that has come out of the pandemic are these amazing communication loops directly with our field employees. I would get on FaceTimes with our general managers and ask them to walk me around the store and help me understand how they were making curbside work in their area. And every single one, I promise you, was different. We could not have written a thousand SOPs that were different. They did that and then helped us get better on the back end by sharing. So I think that like globally was point one. Point two then was, okay, for specific populations, and let's talk about women for a second, what is it that they may need that looks and feels different than anyone else? Mm. And so there's been a lot written, I know you guys have written a lot on women leaving the workforce. I, I found the stat incredibly uh, important. 56% of American women are working for pay. That's the lowest level since 1986. I think it is disastrous on like an epic scale. And so early on, we were hearing, it's not just about women, but certainly families and certainly families with young children were having a very difficult time balancing. And so we went back to the well and said, what else humanly could we do? And we have put in place everything from more flexible working arrangements, certainly at corporate where we've been able to offer some of those uh, types of arrangements. We have a life solutions employee assistance program that you can reach out to tuition discounts, we have backup childcare that's there for any emergency caregiver pay in case, and it's not just about your kids, it's about maybe your parents as well, because many women are supporting not just their children, but their parents, or even in my case, their grandparents. Um, We put in tutor reimbursement for people who might need that extra bit of help at home. We opened up conference rooms here at the corporate campus as soon as we could, where people could bring their kids and use the bandwidth here in a safe, isolated environment if they didn't have enough room at home. I mean, we just tried to turn over every rock and think through what humanly could we do to try to keep women more engaged. And I I can tell you, I'm, I'm incredibly proud. We are not seeing women leave at a pace that's any higher than the men. We're not seeing them leave at a pace that's much higher than pre-pandemic. And we're actually hiring more women in than we were pre-pandemic. So the suite of things, I I can't tell exactly what the magic sauce is, but I think really trying to listen and iterate and change I think it's it's making a difference. Wow,
0: good for you. You know, this is happening at all. I, I'm sure you know this better than we do. It's happening at all levels. I mean, Bridget Van Kralogen at IBM oversaw a study that showed that even at the top executive levels, you're seeing fewer women, more people are just opting to sit it out.
2: Yeah, and that in particular is one of the things that we've been watching very carefully. And, and for us, our officers and directors have actually left at lower rates than their male counterparts. I mean, there's three places where, if I don't know if you saw um, the newest lean-in study from Sheryl Sandberg and the team, but the, the three places where we're seeing the issue is one, working moms who have kids. Right. Two is to your point, executives, particularly at that director and above level. And then three, it is executive women of color in particular, who already we don't have many in the workforce to start with, and now we're losing at exorbitant rates. And so as soon as we started to see just broadly some of those stats, we really doubled down on what humanly could we do that will help us buck that trend. There is no silver bullet. It's going to be an ongoing question. And certainly it is a big part of what sits under the return to office or hybrid working model discussions of the future.
1: Acknowledging there's no silver bullet here, I do think I hear some important elements to call out. One is that your female employees feel safe. Two, they feel heard and supported. That feedback loop seems really important. And because you and your executive team seem to be present, I would imagine they feel they have a path forward. That seems to be a pretty magical formula to keep people around.
2: Yeah, that last point I would lift up a bit even more. I mean, we we are incredibly proud of our board diversity as an example, 45% female, a third people of color, when your board composition starts that diverse and then we mirror that at the executive level, I think it does create a safer environment, And not just safer, the truth is, the board will push harder than me sometimes on the things Mm. we should be doing for our employees because of their own life experiences. And that, okay. that's a very powerful combination because not only can I see myself reflected, but the entire team is making decisions based on their own life experience that are really gonna focus on the specific needs of different populations.
0: I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte U.S., which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining.
3: Alan, pleasure to be with you.
0: Joe, every crisis creates opportunities. And great challenges spark even greater innovation. How should leaders make the most of the current crisis and the current challenge?
3: Alan, if I look at our own organization at Deloitte, we have over 300,000 professionals around the globe. Who have virtualized the firm overnight you know, maintaining continuity of exceptional service to our clients and we're advising our clients right now to devote the right energy to each phase of what lies ahead there is certainly the near term of responding and recovering but after that you want to be positioned to thrive
0: yeah that's really interesting joe we're not going to return to normal. We're preparing for a new normal.
3: We are, and while it is unfortunate that these challenging and tragic circumstances are serving as the catalyst, there can be no doubt that the new ways of working, the new ways of delivering within a complex value chain are going to fundamentally change the way in which work is accomplished forever.
0: Joe, thanks for being part of it, and thanks for your sponsorship of this podcast.
3: Alan, it's a privilege.
0: Best Buy is such an interesting case study in what's happening in the retail sector. I mean, I think 10 years ago, most people would have said I might have said that it's not clear Best Buy has a reason to exist. I mean, why in the in the world of technology and virtual, why do I need to go to a big box store to get my electronic needs? Why can't I just order it online? And yet you do exist and you're thriving and you've really reinvented the retail experience. In a way, I think that has lessons for other retail. So what have you learned in the process about the purpose of physical and how it interacts with the digital?
2: At Best Buy, I think there are two things that we do better in consumer electronics than anyone else. We inspire and we support. Look at every single computing product you could imagine, all the way from that opening price point to a $1,500 incredibly complex gaming computer. Help me narrow in digitally quickly on what will be my best solution with great reviews and summarized thoughts, not in text and specs, but in like normal English language. How you do that across the bevy of products that we sell. Every TV. Every appliance, every phone, these are really interesting, always evolving products and our unique ability to inspire and then on the back end to support and keep you up and running. You're just going to buy the product and walk out the door. We can be there for you over time. If it's not working, if the printer falls off the network, ubiquitously across, agnostically across all these different operating ecosystems, we're the only one who can be there for you across all of those Not just the products but the way they work together and I think the clearer we got historically and we continue to get on that as our differentiator it's not about a zero-sum game against one competitor it is about why we exist on the planet and what we do better than anyone else and I think that for our employees certainly is the most important rallying cry and then to your point when you get really good at it you can definitely see it resonate with your customers.
0: Do you end up in a situation where you look at your physical footprint and say, you know, to do this really well, we need a physical footprint, but it doesn't have to be this large?
2: I don't think it's about more or less. I think it's about what do you want your physical footprint to do for you? And the things we've talked a lot about, the different things that we are testing, because our stores are not just about the experience. Our stores are also about convenience. Forty percent of what we sell online is picked up in a store. Even with us offering free next day shipping on almost everything that we have online. So there's something about these high price point breakable products that people want confidence in going to a store. And so some of our stores will be these experiential powerhouses where we can bring to life all of what we serve. Some of our stores might be geared more toward the convenience of a great curbside experience or a quick same day experience delivered by an employee where there might be a little less selling square footage and a lot more warehousing square footage. And so we can get you what you need, but it doesn't require that same amount of selling square footage. I refuse to answer right now, do you have the right number of stores? That's actually not the right question. The question is, are your stores doing for you what you need them to in a new world where 30 to 40% of your business might be done digitally first?
1: How much time do you spend on cybersecurity? I ask that, it's a new question for me, it's a new question for Leadership Next, simply because it seems to be one of the most vexing and overwhelming issues that have been landing on the desks of CEOs around the world. How do you think about it? And how prepared do you feel?
2: My cyber team is so happy that you're asking this question. (laughs) (laughs) This this is a team that uh, has existed for us behind the scenes, rightfully so for so many years. And that's actually part of our collective, I'm going to call it secret sauce. We about four years ago brought together all of our risk and compliance functions all under one leader. Unlike many companies where you might have physical risk in one part of your business and you have cyber risk in another. And we brought all of this and created really what I would consider is kind of a powerhouse team that is just thinking about the risks Mm -hmm. to our business. And we invested heavily in our cyber skills and team. And we did that, I would argue, kind of ahead of the curve here. And that has really paid back in spades, not just because I think we've been able to really navigate the cyber issues, but also because when something like the pandemic hits, it's not just a physical risk. The pandemic is the perfect example of a holistic risk profile, because part of why cyber has spiked is everyone's at home, on their devices, clicking through 500 emails, not really paying attention to whether or not it's a phishing email, and all of a sudden you have a problem as a company. But when you have all of that risk profile put together, you have actually what I would consider is almost, it's a new asset for us in the way we think about addressing holistically risk. And then the second piece that I would say is our board has always been very focused on Cyber in particular. And every single meeting when we talk to our board, we are talking about what we're learning, how we're training, the new skill sets we're adding, what we're seeing out in the environment. That's a big part of our overall governance structure that we have in place. And I think it's part of why, up to this point, we've been able to kind of weather through this quite well.
0: Corey, we know Best Buy sales were off the charts last year, extraordinary year. But that leads to two questions that I'd like to ask you. One is, We're obviously seeing in a lot of sectors of the economy supply exceeding demand, particularly with supply chain problems, et cetera, and that's putting big pressure on prices. How much is that affecting Best Buy? And then the second thing is kind of related, which is when does the party end? I mean, this can't go on forever. You're you're not going to have continued years like last year.
2: So I'll start with the supply chain question. We started talking about inventory constraints actually in Q2 of last year because what first started driving inventory constraints in consumer electronics was just the flat-out global demand. I mean, global demand spikes to levels where, to your point, we're delivering 30 comps, 40 comps. You can imagine the facilities can't even keep up with production fast enough. So that was problem one. Then as you headed into more of the back half of the year and into the beginning of this year, you started to have constraints on some of the raw materials constraints on some of the chips that we see, although that's not as big an issue for us as it is in automotive, as an example. And then you compounded that with, now the ports are getting backed up. Some of the ports are shutting back down because COVID is spreading again. You've got containers that are stuck in the US and not going back to China. You just have this myriad of supply chain stickiness that is, and we have said it in every one of our calls, continuing to constrain our ability to serve our customers quite as consistently as we would like. Now, our strong point of view is that that starts to ease as we head into the back half of the year. But in certain pockets, I think you'll continue to see constraints all the way into probably the first part of next year because the demand has just been so great and there's just pent up demand. To the question of when does the party end? I mean, you're right. The pragmatist says you're not going to run 40 comps forever. But what's amazing is now we have this much larger install base of technology in people's homes. More people have more tech that they're gonna consistently want to upgrade and that they're Mm. gonna consistently want to play together. Because the coolest thing about tech is it doesn't stand still. This is the one thing that people forget about consumer electronics. This isn't like there's gonna be like the new fashion next year. In tech, you've got the world's biggest companies spending billions of dollars to create the next amazing rev of product. And all of Mm. us, two years from now, we're gonna want that new iPad because now the camera on the iPad actually tracks you as you move which becomes a really interesting feature when you're on video 24 seven, or even when you're just on video two days a week from your home because now you work in a hybrid model. So while we're pragmatic that you're not gonna see this outsized demand, it's a wonderful place to be that we see more people using more tech, more big companies, consistently trying to upgrade and change and create that new rev of product and technology also disrupting complete new industries like healthcare, where as the
1: agnostic provider of tech, we have an amazing ability to serve our customers. I wanna switch gears a little bit and ask you the philosopher queen question. Do you see after all of this and the work that you're doing and and the CEOs who are in your circle thinking about these things, a new type of leader emerging? somebody who is fluent in the language of inclusion, who is taking risks to be authentic, to learn out loud about what works, about what works for people, who are checking in with stakeholders in new and interesting ways? And if so, does that mean that you are looking at talent in your own talent pipeline differently?
2: I think you're definitely seeing CEOs lead differently than they ever have before. And it's not that it wasn't there, I think the uniqueness of the pandemic has unlocked CEOs in a very different way. One of the things that I really believed stepping into the role of CEO, and I spent a lot of time trying to think about who I wanted to be as a CEO. One of my most important predispositions was that this is actually not a job that you do alone. This is not a job you do by yourself. Your job here is to learn continuously and use amazing people around you to constantly push the envelope and be better. And I I think there was this historical belief that CEOs just sat in their offices and like slung out decisions one by one. (laughs) And the truth is what I better be doing is sitting in this office and slinging questions, as many questions as I can ask because all I have is my own life experience and that's not enough. I need to see the world from so many different angles now. And so I think when you combine a new mental model, that is, I need to be a learner forever. I'm not the answerer, I need to be the one who's learning. And then when you combine that with another one of my predispositions, which was the only way I knew how to do this job is to be honest and authentically me. The only leaders I've ever seen really abjectly do poorly in my career are those who tried to be something they thought either their leader wanted them to be or the world wanted them to be. And I think now what you're seeing is CEOs who are authentically who they are, are honest with their employees and are constantly seeing themselves as on a learning journey. And then to your point, as you think about then the leadership qualities of the future, I think they look and feel certainly different than they did historically. One of the things we talk a lot about at Best Buy are our inclusive leadership behaviors. And we put them into place almost a year before the pandemic hit. And they are courage, empathy, vulnerability, and grace. Those leadership behaviors are actually what we talk to our board about when we talk about our executive talent. It's a very Mm -hmm. different way to talk about talent and i think though in the pandemic to your point emphasizing those as genuine leadership expectations it unlocked so many doors for us in terms of how we tried to lead so not everyone will do it the same but i what i do love to see is that i'm seeing more ceos show up as authentically themselves and educating themselves on what needs to be important for the organization and then having the courage to step out and, and play a very different role than I think CEOs did historically.
0: Wow, perfect, perfect. That was, we need to bottle that up and, and spread the word. Thank you so much, Corey. Thanks for taking the time to be with us.
2: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate it so much. So good to see you.
0: Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala. Written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media.